0: Sometimes, when struggling, you need a tangible reminder that you're not alone. You Don't Fight Alone offers the YDFA kit, a small set of items for comfort, grounding, and serenity. Visit ydfa.org slash kits to get your own completely free YDFA kit. Please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences, and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone, a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness, and how we got here. Uh, It was a really long journey, it took about eight years um and I, it was a lot of trying and trying and they kept telling me stuff that just didn't make sense um i saw about four different psychiatrists in the span of eight years and um, each one told me something different so i just kept getting more and more confused and i tried some medications they didn't work out too well um and then i had a uh, sort of a medication mishap like i was i was in the states i only had two pills on me i got stuck there for 10 days and then i completely lost my mind i uh, didn't get to any sleep uh when i got back i had to be fresh to the hospital because psychosis happened <laughs> and then uh, i still didn't get diagnosed so um i had to do a bit of a chase and uh, get on a lot of wait lists and finally met someone that could tell me what was going on My name is Asma, and I have PTSD and bipolar disorder. My rock bottom, definitely the psychosis, especially because I didn't know what happened, and I completely blanked out on a whole year of my life. It took a long time to recover and feel like a person again, and it was very, like, um... Just a crazy place to be in, like the stories I hear people tell me, the things I did, I'm just like, wow, <laughs> that was a bit odd, and uh, I guess it was more traumatic than anything that caused my PTSD, To be to be honest. Honestly, I didn't even, like, because when I went to the hospital, they were like, okay, here's two pills and you're going to go see your doctor and get a refill and get back on these same pills and, and you're going to be fine. And then I was like, okay, great. Like, I guess I was good at acting functional, but people that knew me, uh, like, knew I wasn't okay. So it wasn't like I was, I guess I covered it. Uh, and people were just like, oh, she's odd, and I like, <laughs> kind of left it as that, um, but it was, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't there, really, um, I was in a completely different place, but, uh, the, and then I would just hide, right, I would hide in my uh, home, I wouldn't go out much, I didn't see many people, um, and then it just kind of, you know, just kind of dealt with it on my own, and then, eventually it's kind of like you know it goes in phases it's slowly like fade away then it's kind of like your brain needs some time to heal so i had to kind of um you know go through that process of like making a new version of myself that could uh go beyond that experience I didn't have any like psychosis specific treatment because there wasn't anyone around to tell me that that's what was going on and then after I got a bit better it's like it goes in in stages right I ended up going off that medication took a year break from any meds then I um you know that I weaned off like a year after so once I had recovered a bit from the psychosis but then also my doctor wasn't telling me I was in that because I guess she didn't pick up on it either like that um and then it's uh and I didn't see her very often and It's a family doctor like she knows too much right about psychiatry like that so um yeah, it's, it's just a lot of, honestly, it's just the system, you know, it's not that I agree. Um, But like, yeah, and um, as far as like specific psychosis treatment, I didn't get that. Um, I tried different antidepressants and realized that they didn't work for me. Like they work, then they up the dose, you know, when it stops working and then stops working again, and then they up the dose. It's like the whole thing. So yeah. Um, so I, I realized that that you know maybe that's not um, the right fit for me. Like I know there's a certain level of time where you need to keep readjusting, but not every two months. I don't think that's normal. So then they diagnosed me with treatment-resistant depression, and then I'm like, okay, great. So that's great you know so then um but then he also said okay well if you if you don't want pills why don't you do electric uh electric convulsive therapy which I was like okay cool I have nothing against that but you're meeting me for the first time so I don't know if that's what you you know you want to jump right to that um so and it, I was like okay I'm not gonna listen to guys and then I went back on the wait list saw another guy he says I have um, he said something completely different, he's like, I can't see you, I can't diagnose you, um, and, and, like, just sent me out in, like, five minutes, and then I was like, okay, that's a waste of three months, um, then I gave up completely, a, uh, went in a complete spiral, I called a crisis line a month later because of, you know, an attempt situation, <laughs> and then, um, and then, yeah, it all kind of got better from there. I got a caseworker. She actually found me um, like a consulting sort of psychiatrist who kind of dealt with like situations like mine where it's not really clear. And he said, okay, well since there was treatment resistant depression that actually uh points to me as bipolar because you never know what mania looks like in a person and it might have just gone under the radar so then expanded more on that asking more questions and he's like okay yeah you're probably somewhere on that spectrum of bipolar so i'm going to give you a mood stabilizer and honestly like my life was took a 180 just to tell which is crazy So in in Canada, it depends on what you're looking for. So a psychiatrist would be um, under like the free health care that we have. And then, so that's why you have to go on a wait list because there's not that many and there's too many people wanting to see them and stuff. So your family doctor would refer you to someone um, to be able to see them. There are a lot of community agencies and things that can speed up that process or they have their own, but like you really got to, know that they're out there a lot of people don't know they're out there Um, and then for therapy it's like yeah you do have some that are covered under public health care but it's also wait lists and um, if you don't want to go through a wait list because therapy is kind of in that um, gray area so then you'd pay like the hundred dollars an hour kind of thing yeah so yeah it's kind of like if you're poor you wait and then if you have money you're good Breakthrough moment, it was really uh, getting that diagnosis. And then the way that um, that doctor actually treated me, which was very different than what I got before. I always had the impression that this person just wants me out the door or they don't want to see me. They have so many people to see in one day, right? So it's like one of those things. But this guy actually took his time and, you know, he kind of. You know, Like, they don't tell you this, but you do have the power in deciding if you want treatment, what kind of treatment, if a diagnosis makes sense. Like, those are rights that we have as people that suffer, but they don't tell us that, you know. And then this was the first guy that was kind of like, hey, you know, it seems like this is what's going on, but, you know, you have a look, do your research, see if it makes sense. And then, you know, we can go from there kind of thing, which I thought was so awesome that I, and also sad that I've never talked to anyone that just gave me that basic respect um but yeah that was a breakthrough and also um a little soon after I got connected to this uh, youth charity where they actually only hire people with lived experience and you get to share your story so kind of like I'm, how I'm doing right now um and then you, do, you share it to groups of other youth and um it really helps kind of create that empathy and that reliability to help them reach out as well. So that really was a breakthrough for me in the sense that I was able to take that terrible, terrible years of my life and turn it into something that can actually empower people. It was like really overwhelming, right? Because I'm like, this is all new. It's like a whole aha uh-huh moment. And then um I had like a little freak out a little panic attack like oh wow what's happened this is it and then um because I don't know with trauma it's kind of like whether you feel good or you feel bad it's still a panic attack <laughs> like your nerves are just broken in, in a way so it's like so i had to i was like you know when that passed and then it really it really felt like okay wow like things are happening maybe i've you know reached that light at the tunnel kind of thing and it was really um i just felt like a lot but in a good way Yeah, so the storytelling, honestly, it was it was really nerve-wracking at first, because I'll be honest, I was, like, writing letters the day before I started there. I was just, like, I'm done with this whole place, like, bye world, peace, like, everything. And then I go out there, and everyone's so nice. I'm like, oh, wow, everyone's really supportive, and they're openly talking about their struggles. And I was like, this is really cool, but also very scary, because how am I going to write my story if I don't remember half my story? <laughs> so it was a bit of like you know a little bit of um to get all that together but it really um really took me out of my shell really to um ha- be in that environment where people are just encouraging and and a place at something like so stigmatized like a mental illness is actually you know you're encouraged to talk about it. you're empowered in that environment and it's like that's your place of value the only higher people would lived to experience we're all you know it's it's you're put in an empowered place by um being value in your story right people want to hear it people are getting something out of it and then I got to have that experience of you know um just seeing their faces change you know the kids listening to our stories and you know laughing at the good parts and getting sad with us at the sad parts uh, feeling that hope at the end right where we share that message that it does get better kind of thing so it was that whole experience so like it really really made me feel like yeah like this is like recovery thing is happening it's great It can help others south asian um and it's kind of i wouldn't say stigmatized it's just kind of accepted as a fact of life so um you know life is hard and you're gonna feel these things and you know that kind of stuff so um so then when we go into like disorders and illnesses and the specifics of it then it becomes a bit of a you know it's just a new concept really because um in that sense it's like people kind of just accept that it's pretty much suffering anyways right (laughs) um so when we get into that stuff then it kind of like you know it's hard to understand it as a medical thing as well and and that kind of stuff um Plus, it's like, you know, when you're from any kind of, I think, society where religion is a thing, then it'll be like, pray it better, which does work. There is a whole religious-based approach that can help with mental health, but, you know, not always, not for every person, right? I had so many dreams, and just none of them happened, school-wise, right? Um Uh, certain things like I got to study a lot of fun stuff and like have my mind blown by like research Um, but then when it came to like exams and like assignments I would be like late I wouldn't be able to study right I wouldn't get the grades that I knew I deserved kind of thing because that you know whole discipline piece was missing and I was just going through so much personal stuff that it really did get in the way. But I found that um you know when I talked about it when I actually talked to my teachers about it, they were really chill. Like they were like, yeah, take your time, like it's cool, have an extension and that really- Yeah, I had a good really solid group of friends around me and they all kind of silently decided to not leave me alone at all (laughs) and just keep checking on me or like if I was a little too when I was at my peak psychosis I think that might have been a month long ish and then it's like that long long recovery um sort of period um but during those peak days they just kind of took me everywhere and wouldn't let me be alone (laughs) So I think that, honestly, yeah, that's what kept me around. <laughs> um, got a case manager, and so it all kind of went uphill from there. Um, not all of all of right away, because I didn't trust anyone, right? So I'm like, why would I talk to you? Like, you don't care, kind of thing, and then... Um, and then, you know, eventually it was just kinda like, Okay, fine, they're just, you know, it's a person that's just gonna get me to a thing and then the thing might help me. So this is just one of those things. But then um, you know, you spend time with them, talk to them a little bit more, and then they give you things that are actually gonna be really helpful, right? Like I was in this one therapy and then I talked about like ideations and then they were like, Hey, we don't think this therapy would be like the best thing for you maybe we'll refer you somewhere else and i went to my case manager and she was just like you know that's full of shit right they just don't want the police up their ass if they you know sorry i don't know if i'm allowed to swear but it's like basically okay awesome so anyways yeah she kind of like opened my eyes to that side of the system where it's like yeah that that's why i keep getting referred out of stuff Um, uh, in in that sense it was like okay like that little bonding moment of okay now this person's on my side they're actually just trying to get me help um and you know she it it was so cute she was like i'll get you a psychiatrist we have a guy that comes around but you know you might have to wait a while it'll be like four weeks i'm like are you kidding me four weeks that's like a blink like i don't give i don't care like that's awesome say it probably won't get better but you're gonna get better at it (laughs) and you're gonna find ways to be better too you know um it's not gonna be easy it's gonna be a lot of shit but you've got this kind of thing (laughs) I truly believe that, um, you know, kids should not be raised with that sort of, you know, false hope about life that, you know, but then, of course, that that does get political or whatever, so I'm not going to go there. But it's kind of like, I wish, I would say I wish that I wasn't raised with those kind of, you know, expectations that, you know, being an adult is all that great and life doesn't have problems and you're not going to have to think about money. Which is kind of just you, somehow weirdly passed on to children. And I just, I, I feel like I would have appreciated that heads up of like just knowing that it's going to be hard. And then, hey, I can prepare for it being hard. Imagine being like super angry and super excited at the same time. That's mania. <laughs> and then and then imagine everything's just so dark and you can't move and you can't just, you know, even breathe, right? And uh, you can't even think. So that's the depression. And then, you know, sometimes they just play together and then you're in this weird uppy downy and that's also, you know, bipolar. <laughs> so that's how I would describe that. Um, PTSD, I would just say, you know, your brain's broken a little bit. You had a little injury. Um, it's going to go crazy sometimes, but it's just your broken system. It's been a while since I met, you know, an unbeliever like that. It's kind of like, I, I, the way I've handled it is really just, you know, if you know what you're talking about you're going to make sense. You, you know, if you're confident enough in what you're saying and you say that the doctor's backing you up, what are they going to say? Are they just going to be angry? Then, okay, I don't have to talk to them it's fine <laughs> you know um and then it's also you know you pick and choose you if you know that someone's just gonna be like "Ah, oh, what's that just be happy then it's like okay well I'm just never gonna talk to this person about it you know we'll talk about the weather it's fine <laughs> you know so um and then the people that you know so I like to wear it on my sleeve I'll be honest about it I'll just say it you know, when I'm introducing myself, like, hello, I'm bipolar, like, not exactly. But you know what I mean? Um, it's, it's just the more casual you are about it. Um, it kind of throws people off, everyone thinks of it as a big thing when it's just I mean, like, what, one in three people have something. So it's really not, you know, it's not that crazy. It's like glasses, you know. Um, <laughs> like, I just think that, you know, we all like, the more casual I am about it, People end up talking about their experiences, too, or someone they've known. And then, um, you know, it just ends up becoming a deep thing. And then if they're not into it, it's kind of like, okay, well, then screw you. Bye. I think. Coping strategies are super important, like the most important thing. It's something you can control, something you can just explore. And, you know, having that toolbox is my main thing. I've put as many coping strategies as I can in it. I'm constantly adding things to it. And, you know, if something doesn't work, something else is bound to work kind of thing. And I'll just go through the list if I need it. So I think that that's the main thing. Thing that I think helps me, yeah. Anyways, because um, <laughs> I facilitate so those as well. Um, so, yeah, coping strategies that work the best for me is, um, and, it, and I know it like goes into that whole stereotype of, but I love doing nothing. My favorite thing is to lie down and do nothing, and that is my coping <laughs> number one. I will have to do that for at least twenty minutes a day. I need to do nothing, and then you know other things like skincare um affirmations journaling reading learning things um for me my biggest thing was like watching movies everything it was just so everything was just taking too much emotions out of me i can't handle the emotions so i have to read some i have to consume something neutral so i have to be under. Something still, I would just watch a lot of educational videos on YouTube because it's just like there's no emotions, it's just information, but it's cool. So I'm like still learning, and then that would be one of my favorite coping strategies just learning things. Um, you know, other stuff like going for hikes, I started religiously going for hikes like every single day, even when it was like super snowy and there's just like a chunk of ice that you're walking on. I was there, like, I was hiking, (laughs) like, it was uh. You know, so that kind of thing. And then, you know, things change and, you know, maybe I get over something and I'll try something else. Like I picked up tarot cards, even though I don't believe in them. But then I'm like, Hey, maybe I'm thinking about things that I wouldn't have otherwise, so it's still fun. Um, and just this those, just anything I can add to the list, really, it just keeps going. And the main thing is that I always have something that I'm doing just for me. Like, you know, that 5% of my day, that one hour, I can take just for me. Yeah, so a bit of both. Um, So, you know, I I don't know if you do this, but when I'm manic, I for my depression. So I will, like, you know, first off, check off all those things that didn't get done before. But I know the depression is coming, so I'm going to make sure my blanket is accessible. It's nice and warm and fluffy and fresh. And I have teddy bears, and I have another weighted blanket. And I have, you know, um, my little grounding objects just around the house, like grab paintings you know I have always have water or I always have like you know something or the other nearby near myself so I will always have like something in a purse I will always have something in my pocket like just just to remind me that I can do this and then I'll have that mental checklist sort of thing just play this song in your brain and you'll be like I want to shout out You'd Speak Performance Charity Uh, It's a really great nonprofit. They do a lot of great work. It's where I've worked. And um, they also have a podcast. It's called the Speak Real Podcast. Uh, You might see me on there in some of the episodes. Uh, Also, starting up some YouTube stuff. So that's really exciting. Um, And yeah, I really want to shout them out, as well as the Canadian Mental Health Association. They have a lot of direct services and a really great line of to get access to things a little bit quicker. For more information and to donate, please visit youdontfightalone.org. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone, Incorporated, produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Leihamm. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.